Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. All right, friends, it's time to jump into the homily. Martin and I are going to be team teaching this morning. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians. And we decided we're going to start with the end and come back to the beginning. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. We both are, but I'm going to start us in the second half. And then Martin will come up and talk about the first half. And so the second half, you can always follow along in your, in your scriptures in your hands or on the screens behind me. But here is Paul talking to a very stubborn group of people who doubt the resurrection. So I want you to keep that in mind. He's trying to almost convince them, but also tell them, like, you're kind of silly for not believing this. And so this is what Paul has to say to those stubborn Corinthians. He says, someone will ask, well, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of weed or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There's one flesh for humans, another for fish, another for birds, another for fish, and on and on. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, but raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, but raised in glory, sown in weakness, but raised in power, sown in a natural body, but raised in a spiritual body, or a supernatural body, if you will. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust, you and me. And like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born of the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. And when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, and that by preserving it, we may know you, we may know to learn to love you and serve you, um, but through your word, you're also changing us to be more like you. So help my words this morning to be beautiful, true, and right, and encouraging on this Easter morning. 
ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Like I said, Paul is contending with the Corinthians, and they are uh, they're difficult people. And you know this because when you read all of 1 Corinthians, Paul seems to just be addressing all of their issues, either their behavior or their bad ideas, and he's constantly saying, this is how the gospel should change the way you behave or change the way you think. So he's had to address the way they eat food. He's had to address the way they choose to engage in, in relations with other people. He's had to change the way that they, they shop and the way they worship and the way, like all of these things. Paul's like, you guys just do everything wrong. That's kind of the, the first Corinthians, I would title it, stop doing things wrong, do things the way the gospel says to do them. And there's this crescendo that moves to 1 Corinthians 15. It's like he's saved the best for last. And he's telling them, you guys are missing a very critical, essential piece of our faith because you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, I don't like giving the Corinthians any, like, help, but I'm going to give them a little bit of help. Here's the thing. In the ancient world, you're a lot closer to death than we are in the modern world. In the ancient world, you, you literally bury your own dead. I mean, this is something that they would participate in. And so when Paul comes to them and he says, I've got such good news for you, the dead will rise again. They're like, we literally know where the bones are buried. They, they know. They prepare bodies for burial. They have an, a, an acquaintance with death that many of us in the modern world, we just don't have. We use services for that. And we, we feel the pain of death. We feel the grief of death. We feel the turmoil of death. But we're not actually in the business of burying people. So you can imagine how hard of a truth this is for the Corinthians to think to themselves, those bodies that we've put in the grave will rise again. My nephew likes to ask, will it be zombies? And I'm like, no, but that's a fair question to ask. And so you can imagine the Corinthians are just looking at Paul going, this truth that you're telling us is too great a truth. And so then he takes their question in verse 38, and they say, well, how are the dead raised? And CSB allows Paul to say, you fools, which I think is funny. Other translations just say, how foolish. But I guess the CSB just has Paul mocking the Corinthians. But he explains to them, this idea of resurrection, you've actually seen it happen before. And he, he starts to tell them, hey, here's the reason why you need to believe in the resurrection of the dead. One, you've already seen analogies of it in the created world. And we'll talk about what he means by that. But then secondly, he says to them, if you're not changed, you're not fit for what's to come. Martin and I are talking about resurrection fitness, and we'll talk about what we mean by that. But he says to them, if you do not have the kind of body for where you're going, you will not be able to participate in where we're headed. And then finally, this is such great a truth that Paul, as one commentator says, he just breaks out in rhapsody. He begins singing and mocking death. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And so let's look at what Paul's talking about. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, you guys are so foolish. You say dead things can't come back to life. Have you never planted a seed? That's what he says to them. You take this little bitty seed, you stick it in the ground, you don't see what's happening, and then poof, a daffodil or a watermelon or an oak tree. And he says the flesh of this new thing isn't like the flesh of the seed, and the, and the seed had to go into the earth and die. It is no longer a seed, but what comes of it is a completely new thing. He looks at the Corinthians and goes, you observe this already. God has given us whispers of resurrection always. Consider the field. Consider the seed. You already know that things can go into the ground dead and rise as something new. That's what he's telling them. This isn't that strange of a concept for you all. And then he says, like that seed, that's what will happen to us. 
But what comes out is not a daffodil or watermelon. It's not fruit. It's not food. It's not any of those things. But instead, he says, when you go into that ground and you come out of that ground, you will now be glorious, powerful, incorruptible. And he says spiritual and over, over again. But what he means by that is supernatural. You will actually no longer be fit for this world. You will be fit for another world of where we're going. And if you haven't been transformed from one into the other, you're actually not going to be fit for where we're going. He says, look, we all share in the fallenness of Adam, right? We all understand what it means to be made in Adam. So let me just ask you, how many of y'all this week felt like your body was like really firing all cylinders? Nobody's going to raise their hand, but if you did, good for you. How many of y'all felt like your body betrayed you this week at some point? Yeah. How many times do you feel like your emotions betrayed you this time? You feared something that later you thought, I, sh- I shouldn't have had to fear that. Or your anxiety betrayed you. How many times this week did you wake up and go, I don't really feel supernatural. I, I feel like I'm in Adam. Yeah. The good news of the resurrection, the good news of Jesus rising from the dead, and he shows us what a supernatural body looks like. He still eats and drinks. Such good news. We'll do that in the new heavens and the new earth. But he also walks through walls. It's as if he's not made for this world. He's made for a different world. And this is what Paul's saying. When you rise again, no more creaky knees, right? No more creaky knees, no more painful back, no more falling down, no more looking in the mirror and going, this just, I didn't look like this 10 years ago, right? And not only will you be changed in those very painful human ways of, of our bodies failing us, but our emotions failing us, our brain chemistry failing us. How many times have we woken up and said, why is it that I just don't like myself today? Or why is it that I just, I fear so much? Or why is it the shame that I'm battling so much? It's just like it's eking in on me, and I just feel it creeping. And there's a day coming that Paul is trying to help the Corinthians understand. There's a day coming that's not going to be your reality anymore. That there is a new heavens and a new earth and a resurrection life in front of you that is glorious. You wake up feeling glorious. Can you fathom waking up going, I am glorious this morning? If you already do right now, maybe that's not good. But you should wake up and go, I am made in the image of the supernatural and I am glorious. There's a day coming when you wake up and you feel powerful. Can you imagine waking up and feeling powerful? You wake up feeling incorruptible. You don't fear going to the doctor's office. You don't fear the blood results. You don't fear what's coming. You're not suddenly touching. You go, what is that? That wasn't there before. And you wake up supernatural. This is good news. Because what Paul is trying to tell us is the only way you're going to be fit for the new heavens and the new earth is you're going to be radically transformed so you can participate in a place where we're going, where there is no more pain and suffering. So your body can't fail you in that new place. There is no more anxiety and depression. Your mind will not fail you in that new place. There is no more fear. There is no more suffering. There is no more grief. There is no more tears. There's nothing in this new place because you will have been completely transformed and now you will be fit to participate in a world that you cannot fathom now. But in the blink, someday, we're going to fall asleep and when we wake up in the presence of Christ, Everything will have changed for us, and we will now be fit for the new heavens and the new earth. This resurrection fitness, fitness can mean health and strength. That's 
certainly what it means, but it also means that you're suitable or ready for something. The good news of Jesus Christ on that first Easter morning, of him rising out of that grave, is that he went first and showed us where we're going. And Paul is trying to convince the Corinthians, we are going to that place too. And when we get there, you will be ready for a place of no pain and no suffering and no grief and no despair. And as Paul is teaching them this, all of a sudden he just breaks out in rap. This is such a great truth for Paul. He's ending this letter to the Corinthians, these very stubborn Corinthians, and finally he just says, hey, and by the way, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. Paul is so moved by this great truth that we will be transformed into creatures, supernatural creatures, that he begins to mock death. He begins to mock death. Paul is very acquainted with death. Right? I think so many times you say, hey, death, where is your sting? And those who are in acute suffering go, hey, like we're feeling the sting of death, though. And I don't want you to think Paul was unacquainted with sorrow and suffering and death, so he doesn't realize death has a sting. Of course it has a sting now. But what Paul is speaking of is a future reality where death itself will die its final death. And because of his sure assurance of this, he's able to not only mock death in his song, but he's able to remind the Corinthians, this present suffering you have now, this too shall pass. And where we are going is to a place where we will not feel this anymore. But I think the thing that I want to camp out on is just this last so what, where I'm trying to take all of us in this, is Paul is saying, hey, look at the seeds. They show us that there's a resurrection. And hey, doesn't your body hurt now? Don't you want a better body someday? You're going to get a better body in light of Christ. And by the way, we can mock death now because someday death is going to die. And you think that's a really good ending. Let's just end it there. But he has one last verse for us in chapter 15. It's this. Is therefore, in light of the fact that all of this is true, right now, in the, in the already, not yet, right now, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul's resurrection truth for the Corinthians is, hey, there's a day coming when we will not have to experience all that this world throws at us. And we long for that day, and our hope in it is so sure we can mock death itself. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you're going to have to hold on. You're going to have to be steadfast. And you're going to have to get after the Lord's work, trusting that the work you do now will carry with you into the new heavens and the new earth. And so that's my encouragement for us on this Easter morning, is I just want to look at you all and go, I know there is suffering in this room. I know there's pain. I know there's heartache. I know there's acute grief. I know there are things that you wish they weren't as they were. I know that Easter for you is this great and joyous day, but then you're going to sit down tonight after you're done with your deviled eggs, after you're done with your Easter brunch. Hopefully you watch some NBA. You're going to finally sit on your couch, and then you're going to go, but that thing is still here. So let me encourage you. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Do the Lord's work now, and trust that a day is coming when death will be no more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and this reminder of the resurrection and that because of the resurrection, we have a sure assurance in where we're going. Would you help us in the meantime to be steadfast? Would you help us to be immovable? Would you help us to be faithful to you in the meantime? And when life gets hard, when life gets scary, when life gets dark, 
Would you remind us of where we're going so that would nourish and strengthen us to do the work now? I ask all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. For those that are here for the first time, um, welcome. Thanks for coming out to St. Judo Cliff. And just to let you know, when you heard like, oh my gosh, two messages, are you kidding? They're brief. We're brief. I'm going to go about eight minutes, including what I'm going to show you in just a, a minute, okay? But I'm going to look at um, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11. We said some of these words this morning, actually in uh, the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is inspired by the Scriptures, and you'll hear some of the words of the Apostles' Creed here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. This is the Holy Scripture. This is St. Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. Now, I want you to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the gospel or the message, I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, or died because of our sins, more accurately. He died because of our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried or entombed, more accurately, he was entombed, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to, to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one born of the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain." On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. This is the Holy Scripture. Let me pray, please. Father, may the words of my mouth and the conversations in all of our hearts and minds together be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. Okay, uh, Scotty, can you show a picture up there? Yeah, I want to show you, these, these are people that you may not know. These are the roaches. Anyone ever heard of the roaches? Okay, I'm an, okay, one, no, okay, one hippie, way to go, one hippie from the 60s and 70s. That's it. Okay, these are the roaches. This is, this right here, that's, uh, that's Maggie, that's Terry, and that's Suzzy. I said it right. S-U-Z-Z-Y, her name is Suzzy. On November 17, 1979, I was watching Saturday Night Live. You guys, does anyone still watch that? It's around, right? It's still around. You guys watch it like when Kendrick Lamar or like Rihanna sing. You watch it for like five minutes, right? We all watch. On November 17, 1979, they sang on Saturday Night Live. And the only reason they sang on Saturday Night Live is that, well, six years earlier, they did backup for Paul Simon of Paul Simon and Garfunkel. In his album, There Goes Rhyme and Simon, it's a great album, by the way, under, underappreciated. Okay, they sang backup, and then they wrote a hit song for Phoebe Snow. You guys ever heard of Phoebe Snow? Okay, all right. They wrote a hit song for Phoebe Snow, and then Paul Simon said, I'm not going to host the show unless the Roaches get to sing. And they said, okay. So they sang. They came out on stage. They held up their guitars. And then they put them down. And this is what they did next. 
Now, when that happened, there was silence for about three seconds. And then the whole place went nuts because they'd never seen anything like this. This is Saturday Night Live. These are three sisters from New Jersey. And Suzy's in the middle. And you know, like we call it like the bad dad dance. She was doing the whole bad dad dance the whole time she was singing. She was orchestrating the whole thing. And they're into it. And everyone's like staring at them like, what are they doing? Are they re they're really singing the Hallelujah Chorus. And at the end of it, everyone was blown away by how beautiful it was. And what they did, they took rough space, to use language from theater, they took rough space and they made it holy space. And everybody felt it. And they realized they weren't doing this for fun. Now they're hippies. They, you know, they sing in the West Village and they're, you know, they eat granola and they probably take some kind of things that make them, you know, other things that are not legal. And, but they still, they, they meant to do this because they knew that they had a gift and they wanted to knock people's socks off. And they did. Now, what does this have to do with resurrection fitness and what does this have to do with the word gospel? When you, when you all hear the word gospel, I just wish we would have more of an idea of what it really meant. We think of like the four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or like, oh, that's gospel truth. But gospel is deeply related to resurrection. There is no good news. That means apart from the resurrection. But really what the word gospel means, it's a necessary invitation about someone who's coming. And you've got to get in line. It was a political term that the church used at first. It used to be like in the days of Jesus that they would say, gospel, gospel, or good news, good news, Caesar's on the way, or Mark Antony's on the way, or Cleopatra's on the way, or Alexander the Great's on the way, or um, like for you athletes, um, oh, coach is in the room, oh, okay, get your head in the game. Coach is in the room, look busy. Coach is here, it's an announcement. But who's in the room? That things are different now, someone's in the room. And what, when, when the Roaches sang the Alleluia Chorus, they realized someone's in the room. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And they said that over and over and over and over until they realized, oh, God's in the room. God's in their voices. God is here. I waited a year for a car that we got. My wife and I did. Nike and I copy each other. I ordered a Maverick, a Ford Maverick, a year and a half ago, and it arrived. My wife picked out the color, sage green, great choice, honey. And it finally came a year and a half later. We loved our Maverick. We could have sold it for $10,000 more than we bought it. But I didn't want to sell it. You know why? Because I loved my Ford Maverick. I had it for two weeks. I was driving on Woodall Rogers. Traffic slowed down. But Dave from McKinney, who was driving behind me, Dave from McKinney did not slow down. <laughs> Dave from McKinney was driving a, a 2020 Ram 1500 Bighorn. Dave was watching on his phone, and I was stopped, and I said, oh no, I think I'm going to meet Dave from McKinney. And boom, I met Dave from McKinney. We both pulled over. I looked at the back of the truck, and it was bad. Bad news. Bad news on the sage green Ford Maverick. We pulled over. Dave felt so bad he got out of the car and said, what's your name? And I said, Martin. What's yours? Dave from McKinney. And then he said, Martin, I know my insurance company says I shouldn't tell you this, but it was my fault. It's all my fault. I said, I know it's all your fault. 
so we exchanged information and did all that stuff. And okay, long story short, um, I had to work with Dave from McKinney's insurance agent because there was a lot of damage. $20,000 worth of damage. So I had to take it to a Ford dealership, Bob Utter Ford in Sherman, Texas, because they're certified to fix the Ford Maverick that we just bought. $20,000, I was hoping this thing would get fixed. Do you guys remember that storm we had a couple weeks ago? All right, okay, hold on, this is, this is real, what happened? That storm we had two weeks ago? That storm that we had two weeks ago, and you heard the sirens? That Wednesday night, y'all remember that? And all that rain and stuff. Woo! We had, we had our grandkids over and they were in the, they're huddled there in the bathroom. I think one of them was wearing a helmet. And, well, they're from Oregon. They, they're, they're not used to our Texas storms yet. They're getting used to it. So one wore a helmet and um, we got through the storm. No problem. I got a call from Bob Utter Ford in Sherman, Texas. Uh, Martin, this is Connor from Bob Utter Ford. Hello, Connor. You know that storm that came in here last night? I do, Connor. How'd you fare? Well, we did okay. I've got to tell you something, though, friend. What? We had a lot of hail in Sherman, Texas. And your vehicle was outside. And, sir, it sustained a fair amount of damage. I said, describe it a little more carefully, Connor. He goes, <laughs> it sustained substantial damage. $13,000 worth of damage. So the car was totaled. Brand new car was totaled because of Dave from McKinney and because of the sirens. And I thought about the sirens. That was, we, we, we had a rough patch, and that, that car was rough space. And we had an announcement of something coming, and we, we took shelter. But, but Connor and all those cars, they didn't take shelter, did they? But they had an invitation. So wh why did I go through this whole story? Here's where I go with my imagination now. When I think of those, those tornado, you know, those big towers that do the tornado warning, they announce something. They give us an invitation. Hello, something's coming. It's really big. Prepare for it. And even if you don't want to participate in it, you're going to participate in it. That's what the gospel is. Instead of that tornado warning song, I want you to hear the the voices of the Roach sisters coming out of those speakers on Wednesday or Thursday. What do, those, what do those voices mean? Invitation. Something is coming. And all the rough spaces, all the fender benders, all the crashes that we have, all the damage that we do to one another, all that stuff, is going to be changed. The resurrection is not just about individually going to heaven. It's not about individual stuff. That's just so, so Western. It's about what God has done cosmically. God is going to make all things new. Every saddened thing is going to, is going to become untrue. He, the, the trees are going to clap their hands. Jesus owns all of this stuff, or as a friend of mine said to me once when we were burying his son, who died very tragically, we buried him in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in, in, outside his ranch when we lived there. And um, Dan was a preacher, and I said, Dan, are you okay to give the eulogy for your boy? And he goes, I can. And he said, I'll see him again. And I'll say, yeah, that's right. And he said something I'll never forget. Mark, remember? He says, God is Jewish, and he hates to waste stuff. I'll see my boy again. And I thought, I actually sucked in a lot. I thought, he's right. 
God hates to waste stuff. He will see his boy again. Because Jesus has conquered these things. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. And he takes rough space in this cosmos and he makes it holy space. That's what he does. That's what the word gospel means. It's not just a book. It's something's coming and you better get ready for it. Because he's not asking for permission. You know why? Because he owns everything. And he's Jewish and he hates to waste stuff like aardvarks and trees and children and dreams and marriages and grandbabies. And we're so tired of the fender benders and all the damage. But he shall reign forever and ever and he will wipe every tear from your eye. You know why? Because he is king of kings and lord of lords. And his gospel is true. And he is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us and thank you for giving us your gospel and thank you for making us fit for heaven by rising from the dead. We love you. We're grateful for you. And we look forward to the day that you will come and make all things new. And thank you for the hope that you give us by the power of your Holy Spirit to hang on to you even when things get really, really difficult. We hang on to you because you hang on to us. We pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.